Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shadow Work Library. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Danielle McGinnis, who, for those of you who've listened to previous episodes, you know that she is like my in-house decoder of everything dream-related, symbolism, practical mythology, and she also studies Jungian psychology, which is this proper Jungian shadow work, which is a little different from what I do here on the show, which might be considered a more Eastern approach to shadow work. So, Danielle, welcome to the show. Yay, I'm so excited to be back on the show, actually. I'm, I'm so excited because last time we talked, you know, I was kind of starting the journey that I'm on now, like kind of right um, taking the first steps into it. And, and now I'm like on the path. When I turn around, I can't see where I started. So mm. I'm like, okay, we're we're in the thick of it. So it, it'll be interesting to see how just our conversations have evolved since the first time we talked. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's interesting when you start doing this kind of work, it always feels like you're at the beginning because interviewing you the last time, it definitely didn't seem like it was the start for you. And I know you had your whole life of doing shadow work in your own way, intuiting how to do it. But now several years in, it's a whole different game. And I'm sure when we hop on again in a couple of years, it's going to be like, oh, those, those cute little girls, what were they talking about? <laughs> now, For so sure. It's you, <laughs> right? Now, because you have been on the show before, would you just give us a brief introduction of who you are and what you do beyond what I just covered there? Yeah. So I... I guess the label that I give myself is integrative embodiment coach. So what I do with individuals, um, I had a very short career in physical therapy. Um, I worked in Western medicine and realized quite quickly that that was just really suffocating and constricting for my soul's contract in this incarnation. So I decided to pivot um, and quote unquote retire from physical therapy practice after like a couple of years. So, um, you know, I was just feeling this call that like the body was important, but it just wasn't the work I was doing in that realm just wasn't for me in particular. And so um, I started into somatic experiencing practitioner training and so that to me has been a really beautiful bridge to use the nervous system and to use the organic processes that are moving through the body and combine that with now my formal training and progress in Jungian and archetypal studies and so what I'm trying to do is really create this bridge from this archetypal, transpersonal, um, symbolic, mythical realm and help humans navigate the world and make it digestible and integrative and embodied, really. So um, <laughs> we were saying before we hit record, it's like, I feel like sometimes I speak a different language and it's really hard to like decode some of this stuff that feels... Um, out of the realm of language, honestly. So it's, I feel like part of my work also is just wrestling with what is, like what is being, what is influencing this moment? What is working through this client at this moment? Um, what is showing up in the dream? And, and really trying to take the symbol and, and break it down in a way that doesn't reduce it or squash the soul out of it. So I guess that's a 
little brief intro into what I do. When you're working with people and you're taking everything that you're learning and now communicating that to others, are you finding that there are certain types of personality traits or just ways of being that make it more challenging for people to understand some of these concepts and to embody these concepts and some kinds of people that are just really naturally inclined for this kind of work? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question because I believe that anyone can do this work. Um, it's not for just the people who are have openness in their personality trait and, you know, are into like the spiritual stuff. It's not just for those people. And I think that's where there's a responsibility on people who are um, communicating about shadows, working with individuals with shadows, that they have to be creative with the way that they show up with people. I found this to be true in, in my practice in particular, because there are people that have no idea what, like what certain myths and images and symbols are. And so it's my responsibility to be the decoder in that and to translate it into a language that they understand. And I think that's the beautiful part of it is when I can be creative enough to meet someone where they are and see them for where they are, not where they should be to do this work. It's, um, it's, it's so awesome because you, you see the, the soul start to like kind of open up and be like, ah, I've been waiting for someone to kind of help me understand this because I feel like when you're doing this type of work, um, it activates this deeper knowing of truths that you knew to be true before you knew that they were true, but you didn't have language for it or you didn't have a sensation of it consciously. So, um, with that, you know, I don't know if that answered your question, but I feel like I work with all kinds of people, all different ages of people ranging from 15 years old to 60. So, um, even if you're older than 60, you can still do this work. And I think it's just for the people who are seeking, um, a richer experience in this human experience. Mm -hmm. We'll talk more about symbols later. And that speaks, that'll speak more to knowing certain truths before we know what they mean. So I'm glad we started off like that because I do want this to be a very foundational episode on shadow work. And so to create this solid foundation before we blast off into space, which often happens with you and I, <laughs> would you share with everyone listening what shadow work is from a Jungian perspective? So from, so it's interesting because I think in the Jungian world, there's, there's certain like uh, pockets where it can get really dogmatic, right. And really protective and like, um, so that exists even in the Jungian world. So I think the thing that is most important for me as I attempt and try my best to communicate about these amazing um, principles and experiences and concepts that Jung created um, and put language to is that I don't want to um, just smash them into a mental idea. So the shadow, I believe, from a Jungian perspective, 
is all of the content that is in the unconscious in which you are not conscious of. So it's not just a certain thing. Um, I think it can be all of the things can be shadows, but how I guess pop culture has um, positioned the shadow is it's, it's the thing in which it's the material, the unconscious material that is right below ego consciousness. It's closest to what you do know. It's like right on the edge of what you do know, but it's sitting right under the surface and it's influencing the way that your personality navigates the world unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Might be, okay. <laughs> might be a little complicated, but I, I, I'm probably going to come back to this, but I think that the psyche is a democracy and like every it's inclusive, right? So we don't want to like just section, like section out things that are so, there's so much to them that we have no idea. So we'll just kind of keep some space for the shadow to be all the unknown. But um, yeah, I think that's a kind of simplified way to say it's the thing. um, It's the threshold beyond the ego when the ego starts to enter into unknown territory mm-hmm. that that makes complete sense it works really well with the eastern approach that i take on shadow work which is that shadows are gifts and it's easier to describe a shadow as a negative thing but when you're vibing high that same unconscious material transmutes into a really beautiful expression it's just where are we at right so I'm going to challenge you with another definition. I know these are super challenging um, because it's like a whole Mm -hmm. lifetime of work boiled into maybe a couple sentences, but how would you explain unconscious, the unconscious? Because we're going to say that a lot throughout this. Well, I would say it is all of the, all of the material experience, energy, um, everything that sits beyond the known. And one more definition for a word that I know you're going to say a lot is material. So often when we think about material, it's like matter, like physical matter. Now we could dive into Mm, that word because matter really means something completely different than what we think it means. We won't go down that route. But what do you mean by the material? Um, just the, the psychic, I guess, again, it can be images, symbols. Um, I I think the, the, the best way to kind of look at what material quote unquote that I work with through a somatic experiencing perspective, they have a a model called used using CYBAM and that stands for sensation, image, behavior, affect, meaning emotion, and meaning. Mm. And so if you put those things together, um, they can they can exist separately. So you can have um, sensations that are material, um, that float around in the unknown. You can have images that float around, or they can be coupled together. So I, I like the way that they break that out in somatic experiencing because um, it's kind of like the gestalt of, of what we're working with, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And from an intuitive perspective, we would see that as the, as audibly like sounds or words that you quote unquote hear in your Mm -hmm. intuitive senses, the intuitive visions that you get, the sensational feelings, and then that just knowing of like, it's not a sound, it's not Mm -hmm. an image, it's not a feeling, it's just, oh, I just know something. That's so cool. I love how these worlds are colliding. So one of the challenges with shadow work that I find is that it can be very conceptual. That is one of the downfalls Mm -hmm. of having a podcast is that we don't have human to human interaction. It's only a one-way conversation. So obviously the material that we're putting out there is very mental. So how do you help people Mm -hmm. bring shadow work out of this mental mind concept and more into the body so they can embody this in in life and um, in their souls? Yeah, I think it's... um... Somewhat because I think I I like to at least start where people are, right? So most people aren't super embodied, to be honest, right? Like most people are more comfortable up in this kind of conceptual space. And so if we can kind of give a map of kind of how the psyche is laid out and constructed, and then see how their personal and subjective experience is laying onto that map or that map is um, laying onto them, then I think it helps people really understand, not just from a a mental level, but they start to get more safety. So the safety first resides in, in the mind. And I think that's just a product of our culture, right? And then as we create safety. So I think about it as like, okay, so you're about to go on this journey and you need a map to go on the journey, but then you have to orient to your environment and like, okay, so where am I at right now? Right. Where am I at on this map? And then as you start to take steps on the journey, it's like you continually orient and that by orienting, constantly you're checking in with how is your body perceiving this experience the journey of working with the shadow because they're not separate right like just because you have the map doesn't mean that you're not experiencing and feeling and all of that along the way so recognizing that we aren't separate from what's happening within us um, I think that's where we start um as our, um, when we're younger, we start, you know, use like God images. That's a, that's an example of kind of transpersonal material, right? First, when you're doing this work, the God image starts as a, a God outside of you up in the sky, up in heaven, right? Because that's a safer kind of way to interact with quote unquote God. But as you start to do work with symbols in the shadow and different Um, material internally, that image that was once outside of you starts to come in and you realize that you're not separate from that. You're connected to that in some way. And so Jung said constantly that the the body and the the psyche are not separate. They're on this spectrum. Um, And we live on this spectrum from the archetypes to the instincts. So the body to the spiritual, um, material. Mm. So, um, 
Yeah, creating a map really, and and as we were kind of chatting before, I think that the first place to start is getting an awareness of well, what is the thing that's going to be processing the shadow, the shadows, the unconscious? It's your ego. Like your sense of I in the world is kind of like the quote unquote, you are here on the map. So your sense of I, um, it's interesting because not a lot of people know that your ego has two functions. It has kind of two sides to it. On, on one side, um, it's, you know, wanting to become more conscious. But on the other side, it's wanting to protect um, from all of the things that would make it less conscious. So it's like kind of like one, it's facing one way, but also has a kind of eye towards the other way too, looking at the shadow. So when shadow material comes up, the ego's like, nope, you will not enter because it's threatening. And I think that's an important part of shadow work is realizing that as you're becoming more conscious of the shadow and unconscious material, you're going to regress a little bit. You're going to act in ways, feel things that are uncomfortable. It's technically a regression. It it might be in Western psychology, a symptom, but those symptoms are the entryway into greater consciousness. So we have to be willing to look at how your sense of I is, um, is, I guess, just oriented to the material itself. And, and that helps me somatically. If the ego is very defensive, if it has like, you know, a, a lot of protection and guards up, then I have to titrate this unconscious material, meaning slowly, like little bits of material. It's not like I can't tell someone, you know, I'm trying to think of another shadow, but like, um, do perfection. That's a good one. You're just a, yeah. Like, um, when you're, when you're, uh, addicted to having the perfect body, right. Well, what you're feeling is disgust for yourself. Like you, you can't just cannonball and like tell somebody like, well, this is the truth, right? You can't, sometimes the mirror like can't be that, um, it needs to be gentle, right? Because if, if you go in and you're like, well, this is the truth. The ego sometimes is like, nope, too much. And it feels like it's going to get flooded by the truth. And so it's just like, it's a slow process of small, like little nuggets, right? So, um, you know, when you had always gone to the gym, you know, seven days a week and never took a day off, and then you, you took one day off, what, came, what entered into that space? That's doing shadow work in a titrated way, right? Because what came up because you felt disgusting and repulsive and you felt this impulse to go anyway, that's all those like symptoms and things that pop up. That's the doorway into um, not only working with what's happening in the nervous system, but also that's, that's the doorway into integration because it's like, well, thank God that you know that. Most people aren't even aware of what happens in that space. So that was very long-winded. <laughs> it's all really important information. I mean, it really, like, it's so good to point out to do this little bits at a time because it does take patience. 
and it does take gentleness. Uh, the mm. shadow work method that I subscribe to has a, I don't know what you'd call it, like an approach, like a four tiered, no, not tiered, a four pillared approach. You know, it all happens at the same time. So mm -hmm. you need to be patient with yourself. You need to be gentle on yourself and you need to be open to inquiry, the, the curiosity. And then the art of contemplation mm -hmm. also falls into place there too, where it's, you don't concentrate on your shadows. That's not how this stuff works. You don't get out um, a mm -hmm. piece of paper and say, this is my shadow and this is how I'm going to fix it. And you can do that with story work, which Jen talks about, which she's going to be on the show after you. Um, but when you're doing this work and you're just wanting to get it done because you don't have the patience and you're hard on yourself and all the other things, it just, that's how things can get a lot darker than lighter in a way that doesn't need to happen. And I think that that's a huge reason mm -hmm. why it takes me so freaking long to put these shadow work episodes together, my solo shows, because I'm actively doing mm -hmm. the work as I go through it. And I go through a thing literally after yeah. every single show that I put together, um, when I'm exploring and researching that shadow aspect before I'm giving getting into the gift states, I'm not in a great place. Mm -hmm. I am regressing. My husband's like, oh, you're doing another shadow work episode. <laughs> we're like, we're going to do a thing now. <laughs> and it's the reality of this work, yeah. but I there's no regrets once you get on the other side of it. it. Just It does take patience and little bits at a time. So backing up yeah. a little bit. Um, I love that distinction of the dual function of the ego, having those two sides, as we always hear about that other side, that the ego is here to keep you safe and small and the same. And I, it just makes sense mm -hmm. that this thing that's so important to us also has a higher function, a gift function that is here to help us mm -hmm. through this path. So um, if we were mm -hmm. to get into like backing up even further about that idea of uh, disembodiment or like not being embodied. What are some indications that for the people that are listening that they may not be embodied or, or disassociated from their bodies? You know, that shows up in so many different ways. Like dissociation lies on a spectrum, right? So dissociation can lie in, you know, just this generalized, um, kind of spaciness or like, um, you know, even going into daydream and fantasy can be a form of dissociation, right? Um, and so I don't want to like demonize it because sometimes dissociation is um, extremely protective because it helps the ego from not being overwhelmed. But all the way on the other side of that spectrum is, you know, like full blown out, you have separate personalities, right? So um, I think that disembodiment like we're all embodied like let's just put that out there like we're all embodied it's just um are we conscious of how how we're moving through the world in our bodies um and so yeah just to clarify that but I think the the biggest thing with doing shadow work and you kind of brought it up is like it's not you sitting and writing on a piece of paper like this is my shadow. Like when you're doing shadow work, you're slowly starting to create a capacity in your body to tolerate the things that you cannot control about yourself and about other people. And that's a really essential part of being in the body is because if you are 
always consumed by the emotions that are attached to this unconscious material. There's no way that you can move through the world and you're always going to be reacting and not responding, right? You're always going to have, you're going to be in this like kind of um, chronic fight or flight space or if you live in that um, high arousal fight or flight space because there's like things like bumping at the bottom, they're like, oh, shadows wanting to enter. And you're like, no, I can't. I can't feel anything in my body. What happens is if the longer we kind of chronically live in fight or flight, what exists above that is freeze. So dissociation. And so dissociation is actually... Um, has a lot of energy into it because it takes a lot of energy to remain in that state. Because if you're in fight or flight from like a, like a norm, like a, just a normal threat, right? You see a snake on the road and you're like, Oh shit, I got to get out of here. Like if you actually get out of there, your body's going to come back into regulation on its own because our bodies are so wise in that way. But I think what happens when we're working with trauma and a lot of these complex um, inner material is that we got stuck in fight or flight and we like live there. Like we needed to regulate ourselves, but could not. And we didn't have um, parents, teachers, people around us to help us come back into regulation. And so the option for the body, because the body is worried about survival, is to go into dissociation. So now anything that's associated with those fight or flight states becomes threatening and dangerous. And I think the maybe one of the most popular symptoms of that is just a generalized anxiety of about life. And I would say that's the invitation to get into shadow work, right? Because typically, or just depressive states, right? Depressive states, I think, are just um, invitations to working on energy that's been stuck in the body, too. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. Again, long-winded answer to your question. Um, You said something really cool the other day on a call that we had that these there's something that activates like they maybe we were talking about shadows I don't exactly remember what what the they was but they activate something in us to wake us up and this and it's like love is bringing us into these experiences that we may deem as negative I think you had mentioned as an example Mm -hmm. the like an abusive relationship or something like love is sometimes mm. bringing us into these things so that we can experience something to wake us up. Does that kind of relate to what you're talking about here? Yeah. So um, the kind of like the archetypal eros, like love, like capital L love, I guess. There's a chaos in that energy, right? And when that chaos comes into our world, whether that's in an actual relationship or whether that's bumping into something that um, just doesn't serve us anymore. Like there's so many different ways where we, we bump into things where we like kind of hit walls, right? Like I think that 
it's in the myth of Psyche and Eros. I mean, it's like a classic myth is they're trying to couple and Psyche is soul. And so love is always trying to enter into soul and be embodied, but it's chaotic. It's chaotic energy. And what that chaotic energy does is it lights fires, it catalyzes things, it moves energy. And for a lot of people, like that's just so overwhelming. Right. And like, I think it takes a lot of devotion and discipline to trying to relate to that chaotic energy to really be open to saying like, this is a gift for me, or this is for me. Right. Because if, if that person is over identified with, or, or completely unaware of, you know, their ego functions, they're going to look at everything that love is transforming as a problem because love often requires a lot of death and destruction of old form. And when you're doing shadow work, it's like, well, get ready because parts of you are going to die. Right. Mm -hmm. But like that, I like the, the Phoenix myth, right. Because it's like, well, it dies to be reborn, right. You go into unconsciousness into death to be reborn, to become more conscious. So if that's always um, part of the process and you know that this is a cycle and life is a cycle like that, um, I don't know. It's really powerful. It's, it's really powerful because it's like, oh, now I can um, engage in the world in a way where even the problems become the invitations always. And I mean, that takes a lot of work to get there. And it, I'm sure people who are in like rock bottom experiences are like, fuck you. Right. (laughs) But like, I've been there and it sucks, but I don't think that I would change any part of any death or rock bottom or um, depressive state or anxious state that I've ever been in because to feel, I think what we're after is that sense of aliveness, right? And when we're disembodied and dissociated, that's not there. We, we don't feel that. We feel a deadness. We feel apathy. We feel all of these states that are ultimately trying to wake us up, right? We just need to find, I guess, in Taoism, we, we need to find the, the middle way, where we can kind of just hold the tension of being hyper alive and not being like disembodied spirits that fly off into the realm of the gods, but also don't be, you know, buried in the ground, barely breathing and being apathetic and depressed. So we need to find that like middle way and realize Mm -hmm. that it's going to be up and down the whole way. But somatic work creates the capacity to experience more of the up and down that's really what body work does. I want to get more into that somatic work in a second. Um, yeah, you do this work long enough and you realize the the gifts and the adversity are all the same thing at the end. And that's such a beautiful 100%. thing to embrace. Um, in the shadow work practice that I subscribe to, we have more or less a three-step process Uh, there's a ton in this three-step process. You know, it's not like go to the fridge, open package, put a microwave, but it's this allowing, accepting, and embracing. And that is the path to Mm -hmm. 
creating a good relationship to your unconscious material, to use the words that you use. And so um, the process for allowing is allowing your mental mind to have enough insights, like just allowing yourself to be your shadowy self, for lack of a better term, you know, allowing yourself to just see Mm -hmm. these negative patterns or these things that have an iron grip on your reality. And you do that enough and that's your only job. You don't need to change it. Just enough of those insights happen and then you have this breakthrough. And in this system, this breakthrough Mm -hmm. is, is related to that acceptance where then your behavior, like the pauses between when you would have that thought or or go into yeah like a recurring thought pattern or have that um impulse to do something you just don't want to do that pause gets bigger and bigger and that acceptance creates some behavioral change but it's still conscious you know it still takes this effort and then you have enough of these breakthroughs that you finally like this kind of final state and final i say it's a fuzzy final state but this epiphany epiphany where you embrace this part of yourself and the embrace does not mean that it isn't a part of you anymore it's it becomes a physicality like it becomes part of your body and just by doing that Mm -hmm. you allow your physical body to be more embodied with your psyche that's kind of our process um in the Jungian process do you see similarities there yeah I think like when you're working with, as you kind of progress into the shadow and, and allowing, right, you know, the questions that you could ask in that place, well, what am, what is my resistance here and how is that showing up, right? A lot of times um, people, like the resistance actually is showing up in the body, but they don't have an awareness, right? So a lot of times it's like, okay, so my heart rate's getting really high and then my chest is getting tight. Um, my hands are clenching. So we're like starting to recognize the resistance to the allowing, right? Um, and then as we work through that, right, dip our toes into that resistance and come back out, it's almost as if now you have um, one eye looking out orienting and the other eyes like looking in like, Oh, I can see what's happening. Amazing. And what was formally, um, deemed by the ego as absolute, just darkness, immorality, chaos now has a little bit more, um, differentiation, a little bit more form, a little bit more contour. And so it's easier to work with. Right. And so, we start to see their, the, the different forms and figures and um, elements, um, emotions that are attached to this shadowy material. And I love, Jung talked about, you know, personifying the shadow, um, giving the shadow um, a person, a form, a figure, like who is this that is has its own personality in in my unconscious. Like what is, what is that person? It might be someone in your life, like a parent or old best friend or an ex lover. Maybe it's that, but maybe it's something that's way deeper, right? It's a shamanic guide, a mentor. Like maybe there's something internally that just was so quote unquote other or foreign that it 
like the ego just couldn't even digest it. And so when you start to personify these different forms of the shadow, then it's a relationship. That's the embracing that you're talking about is now you have a relationship with these different entities and beings and um, people within your psyche. And that's really powerful because you recognize, because sometimes shadow work feels lonely, right? Like you feel kind of isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. And when you start to get to this phase of when, when all this material has a little bit more form, I think the loneliness comes when we're completely split off from the unconscious. The unconscious can be a dangerous place, right? Being consumed and like swallowed into it is fucking dread, terror, horror. Like it's terrifying, but also it's a place that you can be deeply held in. It is the relationship to it that determines all of that. So like the the ego is going to be less threatened if it is creating a relationship with a known entity rather than this just like dark chaotic form that's just like kind of <laughs> existing there behind the scenes. So I don't know yeah. if that, that relates, but it feels like it does. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of this experience that I had way before I knew anything about shadow work and I was just getting to know myself in my like mid twenties. And so, you know, I had a very promiscuous uh, prior experience to this, like basically early teenage years up until that point. And it was a part of myself that I had compartmentalized and I was like, that's not really a part mm-hmm. of me, but every once in a while it'll come out and like, and I'd have that huge shame feeling right after, like, what was I doing? And I went to a workshop mm-hmm. and this guy talks about, talked about how he had something similar and he named it his demon slut. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he was kind of talking about what you're talking about here where like, he just gave it a name and that was it, you know? And, and just by giving it a name and giving it a form. It was like a version of, I created a version of myself that looked a certain way, that acted a certain way. And just by allowing that demon slut, for lack of a better word here, to just exist, to like truly exist and t- stop shoving her in the closet as if she doesn't exist, mm-hmm. just by having her there, mm-hmm. that's when my intuitive process just started kicking in. And eventually I was able to be like, uh, what, why are you here? What gifts do you bring? And I realized that the demon slut wasn't here mm-hmm. to bring me into these situations with other men that I regretted. It was like showing me that I, um, like she was also really creative and really spontaneous and craved adventure and all these other really amazing things that I valued about myself, but I was too busy to honor, you know? And I and so her mm-hmm. negative manifestation, her reactive manifestation from being suppressed, what just came out like in this way. And so that's how I started to... Mm-hmm. Uh, personify some of my material without really knowing what I was doing. Um, I would love to dive deeper into this personification of some material and how we can make it more digestible for our system. So like, could you take me through maybe a role play of how you would work with somebody who, um, let's, let's say, what would be a good shadow? We do this work all the time and it is hard to like, just come up 
<laughs> with something. Yeah. So um, a lot of times in relationships, like re- okay. relationships, um, like projections in relationships often reveal shadows and the anxiety of the ego, right? So something that had come up recently with one of my clients was um, she was in a relationship. She's in a relationship and that relationship is actually going really well, right? And you would think that that's a great thing, but in almost every relationship she's ever been in, when things go well, bad things happen. And that's the narrative. That's the emo- that the anxiety in the body. The ego has kind of clung onto that, right? And so now that she's in this relationship, um, She's like just waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? And that causes a lot of lack of presence, anxiety, um, insecurity. There's a lot of things that come up um, in that. What we came came to find, right, is like this this inner child was just like carrying all of this like inability to navigate relationships. And so by turning towards that inner child and being a compassionate, understanding witness of her experience. Because it was interesting because my client was like, yes, and I always do this. I always self-sabotage my relationships. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait. Like that's a perfect example of the ego, right? Being like kind of over-identified with like the ego being the only thing. And it's like, I don't think that you're actually doing that. I think that there's parts of you that are influencing and causing you to behave in self-sabotaging ways that are actually trying to wake you up so that you don't do that. Right. And so it was, it was turning towards this little young part of herself and um, said it was, it was like, really like she was just like walking in one direction with her partner and the other, the inner child was like, just abandoned. And I was like, I just felt um, like, I don't, I think that's part of doing shadow work too and being a coach and a practitioner of, of this work is that you need to advocate for the lost and split off parts. Because like when I start to sense that there's like a one-sidedness, right? The ego is, is moving in one direction, but is like not including other parts that's my job to like step in and, and start to call out that rigid ego and say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, wait, I think that we're missing something here. And that's a scary process, right? Because it, it disrupts the known and the, the typical pattern. Um, I wanted to read you something that Jung had written in uh, the Collected Works 9. Uh, He said, in the realm of consciousness, we are our own masters. But if we step through the door of the shadow, we discover with with terror that we are the objects of unseen factors. And I think that that really really informs us of like, we aren't the only things that are like in charge here. Mm. Our eye, our personalities, like there's, there's more here that's influencing the ego. And I've described the ego before as like, um, if you had this psychic house, right? Like if psyche is a house 
ego is like the doorman to the house. Like it's opening the door and closing the door, which are quote unquote boundaries to collective material, social expectations and norms. But also the back door is like the emotions and, and the shadow material and the dreams and all of the unprocessed stuff. But when I'm telling my clients that, I think it's most important that ego doesn't own the house, right? The ego is the doorman of the house. It, it is the thing that allows whatever's in the house to be manifest and played out. But the landlord of the house is whatever you want to call it. Uh, in the Jungian world, it's called the self, the capital S self. Um, some people call it God, universe, divine master. So that's an important part is like to relativize the ego to the greater force that's in charge of all of this shit. <laughs> Jeez. That's yeah. really powerful. Uh, do you ever get the existential willies when you... <laughs> study this stuff sometimes? <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Uh, I think when I, <laughs> I think when we did our diame ceremony in January, it was a literal, it was a playing out of all of the existential dread and terror that exists within my psyche. And Shoot. <laughs> I passed out <laughs> like and dissociated from it, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, for sure. I think it hits me in waves, but I'm curious, you know, you mentioned the word curiosity. I am curious, but I think if I find that things are um, starting to pull me out of my body, um, that's where I start to like kind of um, grab the reins a little bit and start to like just get back in like my feet on the ground and just like come back to a sense of safety because like if you just cannonball into this stuff you can be devoured and that's um scary mm. so um yes just slowly taking steps towards existential dread <laughs> <laughs> fun <laughs> yeah the existential willies are so weird um i get them often when i'm doing something really like normal like, but also, yeah, triggering, like being in a Walmart, it happens to me all the time. I'm like under their fluorescence, everybody's like busy and walking around and all this packaging and everything. I'm like, what is going on? And I start to feel like my arms and legs are looking really weird right now. You know, my consciousness is coming through my two eyeballs. And I'm mm -hmm. like, it's such a weird thing to explain, but I think, you know what I'm talking about? I do. I'm all of a sudden I'm like, I need to get grounded. Cause I feel like if I keep, if I indulge in this feeling, I might just keep going. And I don't know if that's possible or not, but I used to get that feeling when I was young and I trained myself out of it. And I, I think that was a poor decision to train myself out of it. Cause it was a, it was calling me to look at these parts of myself. But I remember being 10 years old in the backseat of a car with my parents and my friends sitting next to me and just being like, what is this? This world is so weird. I'm a human. Am I an alien? It just got funky. And then I was like, no, I can't have this itchy feeling anymore. This okay. cosmically itchy. This is a perfect example, right? Mm. Because let's think of the ancient human being that's like in this world. It's like, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. Right. And like at that, like at that period of time, like our consciousness was not what it is now. We have to ask the question why, right? 
our consciousness has developed to tolerate all of that existential stuff, right? So in the past, in, in a lot of like tribal cultures, there's what's called participation mystique, right? It's, it's you being um, kind of consumed and possessed by the archetypes and they would play it out through, they would, you know, play it out through rituals and, and chants and things like that, but they were literally in the realm of the gods, right? And so as consciousness has developed, I think we've just gone so, I mean, you can say it's a thousands of years, but that's really not a lot of time. Again, that, well, that gives me the least. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think we've gone so far in the mental direction because we just didn't know what was happening or how to be in this instinctual body. Like, I don't think that we realize how close we are to animals, right? And that's part of shadow work too, is getting in touch with that animalistic organism that is within, right? Within the nervous system. And so I think we've, we've considered ourselves separate from that. But it's like, well, no, that plays itself out immensely in our day to day. And so I think we've created a lot of these kind of concepts and ideas because in the past, in history and ancient cultures, ideas weren't a thing. You were just participating in the energy. And now we've, we've digested that and made it an idea and we've gone too far I think personally in the realm of ideas and concepts that we we are disconnected from how these things are moving in us so I think that like those that's a perfect example of like oh this freaks me out right like of course right but it's not until you um get to a certain level where you're like oh I can I can be with this, like it gets a little bit safer, right? And that's basically consciousness evolved throughout humanity. Oh, that's so cool. I haven't learned more about myself than in the realm of understanding permaculture and nature and how systems really work together and how, like you were saying, we're so removed from that reality, from that truth of how we're super animalistic. And when we think about the instincts of animals just watching my my dog like act like a wolf even though he's never been a wild animal before it's so cool to consider that you know when we start getting into some some symbolism and some of the dream stuff that I would love to touch on it's like we all have this humanistic animalistic instinct to call in these symbols that we have never known personally but are in our species as things that we should pay attention to Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that 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 is what that is what the collective unconscious is comprised of. All of the instincts, right, that have existed throughout humanity, that have been digested, uh, that have been created into symbols, right, and that kind of go back into the unconscious, right. That those are the things that comprise the dream. I think it's fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I think the spectrum that Jung uses for unconscious material, ranging from archetype to instinct, is really helpful 
to kind of be with because it's, you know, you can think of spirit, matter, archetyped, instinct, mind, body. So like the image and symbol kind of lies on that spectrum of both of those, right? And as humans, what we do to make that material more digestible, whether it's super instinctual or super archetypal, is we use metaphor and story and myths. And that's the way that we digest that whatever is coming forward. Mm. I want to back up. I, I think this is a, the worst segue ever, but I wanted to touch on something no, that um, a word you use often is affect, affect. Uh-huh. And I want to start encouraging people to use more of this language because the English language in the way that we've been taught it have a lot of limitations and there's some really killer words in there that say a lot once we know what they mean. So could you explain a little bit about affect and like how that works into shadow work? Yeah. So affect in itself, I think of it more on, it's just emotion, energetically charged emotion, right? And so then we can talk about the difference between emotion and feeling, right? Feeling is emotion that has consciousness tied to it. Like it's been experienced, consciously processed. And like you, there's like a determination attached to it. Like I am feeling this emotion just kind of hits you, right? Affect kind of just hits you. So affect is, is that organic material coming up from the depths. That's Mm. how I think of it. Um, and like I said, prior to this, like images can and archetypes can have these um, shells of affect there you can think of them almost like you know bubbles of energy and in the middle of the bubble is the is the image and the archetype but the bubble is like carrying this like affective energy just like emotional tone to it and mm. It's like throwing a water balloon at the ego and the water, the ego's like, can I catch this water balloon (laughs) or is it going to explode and consume me? That's kind of perfect, I think. Okay. So you would use it in the place of saying is charged with emotion. So like this experience is having an affect on you. Is that how you would use that or? Not necessarily, right? It's not like effect, affect. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not great with grammar. Yeah, I don't know the difference uh, between those two. So we can there we go with language. Jen, help. Um, so affect in itself is just a term, right? It's I it's similar to emotion, but I think that there's something about emotion that we have um what Western psychology has like like I think that there's something a little bit um raw and organic about affect emotion has this like i think we have this preconceived idea of emotion as like just a word like sad Mm, yeah right but like affect i think is like sad with a capital s (laughs) that that does make sense (laughs) i get where you're going with that yeah like kind of like there's energy behind it right it's not anger it's anger with a capital a mm-hmm. um 
so yeah <laughs> again I feel like I'm like decoding and speaking in different languages it's frustrating but that's <laughs> no, okay. it's, it's important I like I like the way you talk and I just want to understand more of yeah. why you know um so let's go into dreamland let's let's blow off okay. into space here how you had mentioned um we talked about symbolism being in your dreams we had actually talked about this in the first podcast that we did together, but I know that you've been working more with dream tending now and have a different, under, um, a more refined interpretation of dream tending and all of that. Uh, where do you want to start with that? I, I don't even know where to start with it. I think I'll let you yeah, take it. Um, I think the important thing is um, Jung had this thought of concept, like shadow could be a concept, but he had this theory of complexes and complexes are um, emotionally toned um, images that exist within the psyche and at the core of each complex is an archetypal image, right? So the most common ones are like mother and father complexes, right? Um, so at the center of your complex is the image of depending on your personal experience with it, the great mother or the terrible mother, maybe a little bit of both, right? And so Jung believed that um, the dream, the complex showed up in dreams through image. And the dreams that we have that are affectively Owned are really, really important because it is material that is look, seeking to be integrated in the psyche. And so say we have a dream of a snake, right? Like that's a common dream symbol. You know, the snake has associations to the deep instinctual realms of the body and the psyche. And so um, we can look at the symbols and the images that show up in the dream. And then we can match that with personal associations. And oh, so when you, um, when you see this, the way I like to do dream pending is like kind of put the person in the dream, right? So as you're experiencing this dream and you see this snake, you're interacting with the snake in the dream, what is your experience? Like what comes up? What is the spontaneous creation of feelings, images, sensations? Like what comes up when you see the snake? So then you combine the personal with the archetypal. And when you do that, when you're dream tending, it creates this really rich experience of what this image is trying to communicate. Mm. It's, the dream is compensating. So let's say maybe that dream showed up for somebody who actually, let's just use me as an example, right? Because I've had a ton of snake dreams, right? And so before we did the diamé ceremony, uh, I had this crazy dream where I was like jumping through these like jungle canyons and I like, I'm like shimmying across this like rock wall and beneath me was this just like beautiful like thing of water. And like up from the depths of the water came this like massive snake. 
And I was terrified. I was so terrified. It was just like one of those dreams that just like, and it hits your bones. It's like so terrifying. And, you know, if we look at that, that dream at that time, now reflecting back on what was happening, what happened in the Dime experience, it was, it was almost like, you know, be prepared. You're going to be in very deep somatic territory, instinctual territory. And I'll be damned if that wasn't what happened. That's what happened in my experience. But it was like this, it almost felt like this warning dream, like be careful of where you're traversing because there's some deep, dangerous stuff in there. And so um, it actually, that dream itself really changed my intention working with plant medicine because it gave me um, a deep reverence for the medicine itself. Before, I, I don't, no, I think I was going in with this mindset of like being respectful to the sacred element of it. But after that dream in particular, I was like, I am like kneeling to the ground of what, what this energy, what kind of energy comes up. So these symbols have so much power in them. And I think they carry not only um, warnings, right, for us, but I think they carry compensations. So if we're living completely cut off from our body, maybe you get a snake dream to indicate that you need to go into the body, right? Or material from the body is manifest, it's going to manifest itself. It is manifesting itself, something of that nature. It just depends on the person. Mm. So that a good launch pad for dreams? Totally. So much to talk about here. One of the first things that comes up is this terror of God. And this is one of these concepts that I never understood until I started um, interacting with plant medicines and sitting with powerful plant medicines intentionally. And I had heard from some people that are like truly spiritual in, in their religious beliefs, uh, just great soul connected humans. And they would speak about feeling the sense of terror towards the greatness of God. And like, you know, my little self, my small self was like, well, then you don't really know God, you know, because God is all loving and, you know, the universe is here for us. And I don't understand the word terror until I had a, that similar experience to you where I was like, oh, it's just so great. It's so powerful. It's so sacred that mm -hmm. I can only be on my knees at this moment and and have faith that everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that pops up is this, I don't have snake dreams, but I often have shark dreams. And mm -hmm. so something coming up from the depths, mm -hmm. it seems very similar. Like there's a whole world, there's a whole underworld and there's like this creature that's coming up. And in my dreams, only I am seeing this creature. I'm often surrounded by people and they don't see it. And yeah. This was actually, I wanted to, remember that one day when I reached out to you, I was like, Danielle, help, yeah. I, I need to yeah. figure this out. And then I just like didn't. Well, what would be your interpretation of that? It's it's a common dream that I have on a boat at the edge. I see the shark. I'm like, hello, does anybody else see this? It is like coming for me, coming for everybody. But everyone else is like, what? Everything's fine. What's your interpretation mm. of that? Well, my first question would be, well, what is your, just when you are in that, experience right like well, what do you think of sharks what do you think of that shark in particular like what is your attitude towards the shark what is your feeling about the shark mm -hmm. so um going back there 
it would be often I'm warning people, like there's something really dangerous coming, Mm. but nobody can see it. And so then there's this perplexed feeling that I have of like, is this even real or am I imagining the shark coming? That's Mm. my feeling. Yeah. So it's interesting because I I wrote down the word doubt, maybe Mm -hmm. like doubt of like what this is, right? Am I, am I the crazy one? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're, are you in the ocean in the dream? Yep. Yeah. And so the ocean is a really powerful symbol of the unconscious and the vast, just put a post on this on Instagram about like the vast, um, depths and mystery of the waters, right? Um, the water in the ocean water um, is just very symbolic of how the unconscious works, right? It sometimes it can be like very chill and like like cool and beautiful, and sometimes it's just thrashing and uh, intense, and that is the unconscious. Um, and so you have this animal. So if we think of a shark, too, sharks are very ancient. Um, creatures, right? And they can traverse those unconscious territories so well, right? They're, they can be predators on, on one side, but they also contribute deeply to the ecosystem of the ocean. Um, so they're really important. Um, so, you know, in dream world, we could look at that as, as a symbol of the capital S self, the kind of the God image with, within whether it's the psyche of you and or the collective unconscious, right? Because you're surrounded by people. And I mean, that's so symbolic of what's happening in the world right now, right? So there's so much um, destruct, potentially dangerous and destructive energy that's kind of swirling around beneath us in the world. And it's people like you, I think, that can see it. And that you know, I think depending the attitude you have towards the shark, right, is the attitude that the shark's going to take towards you, Mm. right? And so if you, you know, have faith that that animal is, you know, there for a reason to inform you of something from the great waters of the unconscious that you need to communicate to others around you, Right. But if you start to doubt the existence of the divinity of that creature, of that symbol, I mean, I think that's where the symbols start to um, be a little bit destructive for our own individual um, because we start to doubt um, the existence or we start to kind of rationalize it. And we're like, oh, it would make sense if it was just telling me this. And then we just don't, we're not open to, you know, the truth within the dream. But I think that that's a really powerful dream. You know, another question I really love to ask my clients when I'm doing dream tending is like, okay, so if, if that symbol had a home in your body, where would it be? Um, Where, where would that symbol live? Where would your shark live in your body? It's bouncing between my mind and my gut. It's like Mm. both places. Yeah. So that's interesting, right? Because like those are places of deep wisdom, both of them. Mm. 
man, you're blowing my mind here. That word doubt that you intuited there is incredible because in my um, Gene Keys profile, the, the sphere of my purpose, which would in this system be the essence of your capital S self, the shadow is literally doubt. So in my yeah. aloneness, that is my place that I go when I'm, you know, vibing low and like no faith in, or very little faith in, in, in my spirituality. And, um, that translates into that inquiry that you're talking about, like that curiosity of like no definite answer. It's not an answer. It's an exploration, like a never ending exploration. I think that's a great interpretation of that dream. It, that feels super real. Um, I often feel like I'm taking crazy pills and I think that's Mm -hmm. natural. This kind of work, you know, like Uh, anybody else seeing this, that kind of feeling. Yeah. And, and Jung was very, um, going back to the word like sacred or reverent seemed to like kind of fit here that he was like adamant, like, you know, actively working with dreams is important, but like when you don't have another person to be your anchor or to hold you, it can be very overwhelming and consuming. So like, I always encourage clients to either like dialogue with the dream or we'll do it during the session, but always to like kind of come back, like we'll check in about it because it's not like, especially when you're working with a symbol, like a shark, right? Like so such powerful energy. So like when you're, you know, ways that you can bring that symbol and digest it into your everyday so that the doubt kind of dissolves is to work with it. So you could dialogue with the shark and ask the shark why, why is it here? Why can no one else see you and I can see you, right? You could, something that I've been just really playing with and enjoying, frankly, is um, doing watercolor paintings of the feeling of the dream, not the symbol itself, but if the symbol had a feel, like a, an energy to it, like how would that show up? And watercolors are, you know, they're kind of like emotions. They like bleed into each other. That's not linear, like pencils, you know, so like watercolor is very expressive and helps kind of bring that symbol into a digestible place. Mm -hmm. So those would be suggestions of bringing that, that doubt into a place of, well, you don't doubt when you are actually engaged with it. Right. Mm. Well, that's where the inquiry comes into play. Yeah. That makes sense. So I, yeah, I see that dialogue being really helpful with the symbols in your dreams, especially when, you know, we can talk about things like sharks and snakes and doves and deer, but then when somebody comes into your dream, like somebody, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I find that those dreams are more challenging for me to contemplate because there's that like emotional connection to the actual physical person on the earth plane. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I'll give you a personal example when my dreams aren't some, no, they're all symbolic, but like when they feel more real, like mm-hmm. normal, um, I will often dream of <laughs> this group back in high school, like the Filipino crew, the, the Panoi crew, they were so nice. I just remember like, they were so, so nice. They were like some of my favorite people in the whole world. And they have such a special place in my heart, even though I didn't know them well, it's just like their the vibes of their culture was really cool. And sometimes they'll show up as a group, like all of them in my dream. And they always like, 
feel mm-hmm. like this really welcoming, nurturing presence. And then sometimes um, I'll have people show up and people that I love, it's like real negative feeling, doing things that they wouldn't normally do. I don't have this kind of relationship. Like sometimes Jeff will show up in my dreams and he's just a dick, you know? And I'm like, what does that mean? So how do you, how do you help people work with that? Like people. Yeah. I think the kind of the first place I always go is make the assumption, right. And this can sometimes if you like kind of circumambulate and move around the dream, sometimes this isn't the case, but always going in with the assumption that the, each image in the dream is a part of you. Right. And so if Jeff shows up as a dick in your dreams, then there's a part of your masculine energy that is like Jeff's image is carrying. Right. So there's parts of Jeff's personality that exist within you that are being a dick to you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So it's like, um, you know, like your masculine, there's something about this masculine energy within yourself that is, um, perhaps not being so nice to the ego. And so the, the dream ego is, is seeing that, um, you know, sometimes it can actually be, you're so intuitive, you're such an intuitive person too, that, you know, you could be seeing into shadows of death truly, right? Because, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm working with um, a younger individual about 15 years old right now. So, you know, like really um, bright and intuitive and intelligent young woman. And she, um, she can tell me dreams about when she was like eight years old, recurring nightmares. Um, and it's so evident to me that it's telling a story about her home life, um, about mm-hmm. what's playing out between her parents, um, how those how those energies, personalities uh, that are that she maybe they're they're shadows of her parents, right? So of her dad, let's say, right? Um, that on the outside, he doesn't act like that, but, you know, the greater you are one-sided, the, the greater the shadow. So she's intuiting his shadow. And what happens oftentimes with children is these material from unprocessed material from parents become what's called introjects and they become internalized within our psyche. And so the negative um, side of her father, the shadow side of her father now becomes her inner tyrant. It becomes the part of her that's trying to chase her and kill her in the dream, right? Mm. And so when you're working with people that you know, it's always um, interesting to just first explore how that perhaps is an interject, how that is a part of you. and it, it just depends on the person really. Cause I'm like, well, you're super intuitive. So maybe, maybe it is part of Jeff that you're like noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the case, but whenever you're working with dreams, um, especially when you're working with somebody else and I'm like throwing out these like amplifications, let's just call it. Um, it's important for the dreamer to feel as if it clicks or it fits 
Like it's never, it's not right. If I say something and you're like, yeah, no, like that just doesn't feel right. But then oftentimes if you circle around the dream and try not to pin it down, you'll stumble upon something that's like, yes. Mm. Yeah. Like that. You're like, "Mm, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Paying attention to those little cues is so clutch, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that guttural, uh uh-huh or uh uh-uh feeling Uh that mm sound. Totally. It's a, it's a different language. It's a light language. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what does doing all of this work, just like bring it out of the work now and like into Danielle as a human, what is exploring all this for the last several years and your whole life? What is it telling you about your belief around the human experience and like just spirituality? Like, what are you believing now more and more as you're doing this work? Hmm. It's interesting. I told my analyst yesterday, in fact, that um, I feel like I've been waiting my whole life to do this type of work. And she's like, oh, so it's deeply meaningful to you. Um, and I was like, yeah, it's, it's incredibly meaningful to me. And for me in particular, I feel like the image that um, I'm a Harry Potter nerd and I just like watch Harry Potter on repeat. Um, there's something in that, right? I feel like there's something about my soul in particular that has felt very orphaned this whole, this whole lifetime for me, just feeling Mm -hmm. like I didn't really have a home. And as I continue to like, um, engage with the image and the psyche, it feels like I'm like coming home. And I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means at all, but it feels important. And it feels, um, it feels like the most important thing I can be doing right now. And I'm not really sure what I believe. I think the more I get into this work, the less I believe anything, but I do believe that the psyche is real. Um, I do believe that there is powers within us that influence us that are greater than we could possibly know. And the best thing we could do is try to get to know them because we can see collectively what's playing out when we don't. Mm. that's a really that's a really great setup for tyranny um and you know just isn't it like the opium of the masses you know that kind of saying it's like well that's what happens when you just blindly walk through life unaware of the forces that are greater than you so I do believe there's power in that I resonate so much with what you're talking about here as you're talking, I'm writing down these little notes so I don't forget. I, I never get to them, but one of the things, one of the things that came up was this um, this new season that we're getting into astrologically, where the North and the South Node are changing its placement in the world. And while we're coming out of this time of Gemini, which was is really focused on innovation and like lots of change, uh, viruses are even incorporated in that. We're moving into Taurus in 2022, and um, one of the huge aspects of that is a call to get more in touch with your physical body to your sensations. So all of this work in some level 
is going to be important for everyone. We need to come back home. And next year and beyond, this peer-to-peer awakening concept, you know, that, that we're here to break our own chains of ancestral patterns and that we can help other people do that just by being better ourselves and to show up in our like our wholest self and, and in our vulnerability to share some of the stories like we shared today. Um, because I really do think that the wounded healer is in all of us, like all of these archetypes, but the wounded healer is coming up a lot for me right now. And just this, I mean, like that is your archetype, but astrologically you're like basically Chiron <laughs> in a, in a girl suit <laughs> in, in a woman's uh, facade. Um, but like, yeah, doing this work, the more people that I talk to that are actively healing parts of themselves, the more they're being called to be of service to others, whatever that looks like. And that doesn't mean you need to be a doctor or right. a life coach. You know, it's like, right. yeah, it's such a great feeling. That's what I'm feeling more and more too about spirituality is, and beliefs is that this concept of to know thyself is like really the greatest thing that we can do here because it inevitably leads to understanding how you fit into the system. And if more people can figure out how they fit in, in a higher consciousness kind of way, um, everything else will figure itself out. It'll just be natural. Yeah. And also I think like when you're quote unquote, knowing thyself, realizing that you have no idea about thyself fully. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we've, a ton of room for <laughs> it's interesting because uh recently Rick and I um I'm like really inclusive of unknown at this point in my life and I'm like uh yeah we don't know that um so whenever I find myself like being a know-it-all or I'm like okay well <laughs> not being hashtag descent inclusive so like that's my thing right now is descent inclusive so I'm like okay well Descent, unknown, mystery, it's it's all has a space. So checking myself when it's not hashtag descent inclusive. <laughs> That's a real hot hashtag. <laughs> um, speaking of Harry Potter, bring it back there. So have you listened to the audiobooks with Stephen Fry? Oh yeah. Incredible. Okay. Oh, so so good. I just downloaded Mythos that he I think he actually wrote it. I'm not mm. sure but it's all about myths and he obviously does the audiobook. and if you haven't listened to it, girl, you're going to love it. It's my new nighttime, Ooh. sleepy time. Listen. Yeah. Stephen Fry had a great voice. Oh, so good. So to bring it away from Harry Potter, reluctantly, <laughs> um, Danielle and I and Jennifer McMaster are going to be hosting a year long retreat. It's a virtual retreat and it's a membership style. So very, uh, accessible. We wanted to make sure that this is something that could run in the background of our lives, because as we were mentioning, shadow work is something that is a patient process. It's a gentle process and it's best done in community so that you can process on your own in whatever way that you want, but you always have that grounded and safe place to do that. Yeah. So if you are feeling called to start to engage in some of this work, um, something that I'm really adamant about, um, it's a, I guess, a principle or theory of James Hillman, who is the creator of archetypal psychology. He talked about reflective consciousness versus creative consciousness. This is something that I'm actually going to expand upon in the collective. Um, 
And, you know, reflective consciousness is the consciousness that comes from just reflecting on what is, right? And just taking those um, ideas, right? And creating kind of a framework around them. Creative consciousness is a little bit different because it requires active engagement in, in that process. And it's almost like a alchemical process where it's like, you know, if, if you know anything about alchemy, these alchemists would be in the lab um, working with these like really potent materials for hours and days and years to try to come to the philosopher's stone, right? And so I think the greatest goal of us creating this year-long membership is create this vessel where people who are interested in this um, can't necessarily afford uh, a life coach, right? And they don't want to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, but want a community who is really a community of seekers of deeper understanding. I think our, our true goal is create a community where people can land in that um, and engage in that actively, right? And not sit back and passively watch whatever is happening in our modern times just pass us by. Like, I think it is a really important time for humans to start advocating for not only their individual soul, but how their soul affects collective um and we can't be caught up in that kind of mass unconsciousness that's playing itself out like we i i don't know i can't speak for you jess but i'm just feeling so called to create this community because it, this is so important like mm -hmm. beyond important and to make it in a way that's accessible and engaging and fun and not like oh god i've got to do shadow work but like make it creative like i'm just I don't know. I'm so excited. Yeah, that was really well said. October, November, December, all of 2022 is arguably one of the most important years of our lifetimes, especially as grown adults who can make the changes in our lives that we want to if we if we're not aligned with where we're at right now and we're not aligned with how things are going, you know, things in general. So if you're being called to this, check out our website at transformationcollective.org. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And if you'd like to learn more about Danielle and work with her on a one-on-one -on -one basis, or she also has those really, really cool um, small group programs too. I think you do one-on-ones with dream tending specifically as well, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where can people find you? Yeah. Just head to my website, drdaniellemcginnis.com. You can find me on Instagram at drdaniellemcginnis. Um, yeah. And I think everything that I talked about today is included in, you know, the work that I do individually with one-on-one. -on -one. And I find that, you know, like people who work in group, I think it's great to do work in groups and work individually. It, they both have their place. Um, so, you know, based on where you're at in your life, I invite you to explore either all both, whatever works for you. But I just want to thank you, Jess, for allowing space for me to muse about things <laughs> stumble my way through like deciphering and decoding this weird language of soul and psyche. So I just really appreciate the time. 
Thank you. And you did such a good job. I mean, we're defining unconscious material. I mean, just that's indefinable. So there's a, a built-in challenge there already. And I think you, I know you did amazing. Um, if you guys like this episode, let us know, hit us up on Instagram. You can find me at Jessica Depotsy underscore. And um, yeah, just reach out. We're always excited to chat with like-minded people. Yeah. All right, Dee. Sure. I love you. you. We'll talk love again you. soon.